Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our Gospel of John sermon series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakersfield.org. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. Father, thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. We come this morning and ask that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us hearts, Lord, that are soft to receive. Lord, help us to understand what you are trying to convey to us in your word and spirit of God. We pray that you would be the helper in that process. I decrease that you may increase. I become less so that you can become more. I pray that you would move me out of the way this morning and that you would be glorified in all that we do. Your people would not see me or hear me, but they would see you and hear you as you speak to us in your word. We thank you for this in Jesus name. We pray. Amen. So, again, I want to thank you for joining us on this Lord's Day. The last time that we were together, we were beginning in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, and we dug into the first six verses of that chapter. And we noted a few things that were helpful for us when it comes to our time in prayer. We saw, first, a humble message from the sisters of Lazarus, Martha and Mary. They sent a message to Jesus informing him that the one whom he loved was sick. In short, this sim- it was short, it was simple, but in that message we gained insight into the intimacy that was apparent between Jesus and this man Lazarus who was sick. The intimacy was so deep that all the sisters needed to say was simply, the one who you love is sick. And Jesus knew exactly who they were speaking of. We learn that this is also true with every one of the sheep that Christ has called to be his own. When we come to Christ, we must trust that he loves us so intimately that we should never be apprehensive to come to him in faith. We saw the humility that was found within that message. We noted that when the sisters sent the message to Jesus about the sickness of Lazarus, they did not give Jesus any instructions. They simply sent the message, and trusted that Jesus would know what to do. Amen? Amen. This was important for us as well, so that when we come to God in prayer, we can share our hearts, we can share our feelings, but we must be humble before the King of the universe. We must not come to God and demand from God anything, or attempt to give Him any advice. Rather, we humbly trust that He is God and we are not. Amen? And we learned finally within that message, the dependency that they could have chosen to send a message to anyone or called upon anyone, but they chose to call upon Christ because Christ would know what to do. When we come to Christ in prayer, come to God in prayer, we must trust and completely depend that he knows what he's doing. And that's why we come to him. His love is unchanging and his wisdom is infinite. And then finally, we saw the response of Christ. When he received that message, he stayed where he was for two more days. He did not immediately move. Rather, he waited on the timing of the Father. And we may think in those times when God has not answered us immediately that we have been abandoned by God, especially if we don't see any kind of change. But we must understand that God is acting on his timetable, not our timetable, and that his timing is perfect. Now, as we move forward into this story, we're going to see a number of truths 
And I tried my best to get from verse 7 to verse 44. It's just not going to happen, though. So today we'll get through verse 7 to 26. We will see the disciples' confusion and the resurrection and the life. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Verse 7 of chapter 11 in John. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard, heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall, shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes. Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear the word of God. You may be seated this morning. If you're taking notes, number one, the disciples confusion. Verse seven. Then after this, he said to his disciples or to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? The disciples were present when the message of Lazarus first came to Jesus. Now, I need you to get the setting of this. We find that Lazarus is not only a friend of Jesus, but in verse 11, Jesus says he's our friend. But when they receive the message of Lazarus sickness, Jesus makes this statement. Verse four, this illness does not end or lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, obviously, the disciples did not understand what Jesus meant by this. And they had no understanding as to what Jesus was going was intending to do. And after two days. It may have even appeared that Jesus had forgotten about the matter or dismissed the matter altogether. Why? Again, he stayed for two more days and we find out that eventually it's a total of four days. Then maybe unexpectedly, maybe suddenly Jesus says to the guys as they are getting up in the morning, let us go to Judea again. Now, the disciples, they love Christ. They believed in Christ. 
But there was definitely a great deal of apprehension when Jesus says, Hey guys, here's the, the agenda for today. We're going back to Judea. Back to Judea? What do you mean that we're going back to Judea? Don't you remember what just happened when we left Judea? We had to escape for our lives. They were casting or getting ready to cast stones at us and you especially for saying that you and the father are one. As they are attempting to discourage Christ from returning to, to, to Judea, they're also attempting to save their own lives. They knew that Jesus, if he goes back to Judea, that his life is in danger. But they also know that if he goes back to Judea and his life is in danger, then they go back to Judea and their lives are in danger. So it was a concern for Christ, but it was also a concern for themselves. Listen to the response of Jesus. Verse 9. Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the life is not in him. This was a, a Jewish proverb. And it was a proverb that the disciples were very aware of. What, that, what it basically meant was that there are twelve hours of daylight. Or there are twelve hours of sunlight. And within those twelve hours of sunlight, or those twelve hours of daylight, that is when most people did their work. That's when most people did their traveling. Most people took advantage of the light that was available to them so that they could do things that they ne could not necessarily do or would not be safe to do in the dark. Jesus is saying, when it becomes dark, no one works. No one travels because if they work, they may get hurt. And if they travel, they may stumble. They may get injured. So they take advantage or they, they take the benefit from the daylight. The 12 hours that Jesus is referring to here is his life. Jesus is saying, while I am alive, I work. And I am the light of the world. He is the light of the world. And while he is the light, he works. When, the, when there is time for, when he leaves this earth, that will be the time of darkness. And there will be no more work for him to accomplish. Does that make sense? Jesus was constantly aware of his time. He said to his mother at the wedding of Cana, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. He said to the woman at the well, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father, but the hour is coming and is now. He told his disciples, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. I've got a short window to work. He said to the Pharisees, I will be with you a little longer than I am going to him who sent me. Jesus was aware of the time that he had on this earth, and he does not waste any time. He does not spend the days of his life doing anything other than what the mission required him to accomplish. What about you? Are you wasting your life? Are you wasting your time? What are you wasting your life or wasting your time with? Jesus wasted no time. He took advantage of every single moment that God had given him to work and to accomplish the mission. Again, what about you? What time are you wasting in your life? What are you filling your life with that is not in relationship to the reason why God has made you to exist on this earth? Until then, until Jesus left this earth and until Jesus' ministry was over, he would work. And in this instance, God was using Christ to bring glory to him 
by bringing a dead man to life. And it appears that the disciples still still did not understand what was going on. Why are we going back? And Jesus says to them after these things, verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, I must be honest at this particular point. If I was one of the disciples of Jesus and he had just told me that we're going back to a place that we just escaped with our lives so that we can go wake up our buddy from a nap. I may say to him the exact same thing that the disciples said to him. Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Or another version says, if he's fallen asleep, he'll wake up. We don't need to go and wake him up. We don't have to go risk our lives to go and shake our friend awake. If he's asleep, he'll wake up. And you can almost feel the deep sigh of Jesus as as if to say, how much longer do I have to be with you guys? Verse 14, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Now, we don't understand the tone or, or, or see the tone, but I can imagine the tone. Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Jesus, being all knowing, knew that Lazarus was dead. Jesus, being all knowing, knew that Lazarus would die before Lazarus came or before a a messenger came with the message that Lazarus was sick. And he spends two more days where he was, where he was so that he could allow Lazarus to die. Jesus knew of the sickness, and he allowed the sickness to carry itself out to death. Now, I asked you last time if you've ever died before, and nobody raised their hand, thankfully. But if you have never died before, we can imagine that dying hurts. And Jesus allows this man to see death until its end, unto its end for the purpose of glorifying God. Now, Jesus did not rejoice in the death of his friend, but rather he rejoiced in knowing that through this miracle that he was going to perform, the faith of the disciples would be strengthened more than if they were to see a mere healing of sickness. So there's great intention when Jesus says, let us go to our friend. And there's great intention when Jesus says nothing and stays back. Even in his staying back, Jesus is still working. Do you know that even when God you think is not working, God is working? That even behind the veil that you cannot see, God is working something out behind the veil, even though it seems like here on earth nothing is happening. Behind the veil, God is at work. God never sleeps. God never slumbers. God never rests. God is always working. Now, he is impassable, but that doesn't mean that he never stops working, meaning he's unchanging, but he doesn't stop working. The all-knowing Christ knew what his disciples needed in order to be completely convinced That he was who he said he was. In his divinity, Christ knew that his disciples needed to see a resurrection in order for for them to be completely convinced. Maybe there was some confusion. Maybe there was still some doubt. And he knew that they needed to see this resurrection in order for their faith to be built up in such a way that nothing could shake him. That nothing could shake them. That they could always fall back on that. Do you remember the authority that he had to call that dead man from the grave? And that dead man responded. This is Christ. He said he was glad for their sakes so that they might believe. So, as we will see, there are many coming to this funeral procession. But Jesus is focused on gaining glory for God And putting himself on display once again for his disciples to see and believe. 
Why is the purpose? Why is this book of John written? So that you will hear and believe and trust that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And this is how God works. He will allow one thing to happen so that he can move in an even greater way for the for the for the purpose of strengthening your and my faith. Isn't that just like God? What was the response of the disciples? There seems to be one man who speaks on behalf of all the others. We know him as Doubting Thomas. But he is actually known among the disciples as the twin. Now, who the twin was, we don't know, and it doesn't matter. But listen to his response. Verse 16. Thomas said, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go, that we may die with him. Those words are so overlooked. Those are some those are words that you must reflect on. And they are definitely not the words of a mere doubting man. They are the words of a man who is reflecting love, devotion and even courage in spite of his pessimism. Let us go that we may die with him. He believed that if if we go to Judea, we're dying. So let's go die. Are you that devoted to Christ? See, when you read through the scriptures, sometimes these things go over your head. But he was so devoted to Christ that he says, let's go, guys. Let's see how devoted we are to Christ. Let's go die. They all assumed that they were going to die and they were willing to die. Let's go and let's die. We will see that when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, all the disciples, including Thomas, they flee for their own safety. But it was also Thomas who took the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the country of India for the very first time. And he was martyred there for the faith. So, yes, he was a human and yes, he was willing to die. Yes, he had moments of doubt. Yes, he had moments of fleeing for his life. But ultimately, he took the gospel to the nation of India and laid down his life so that the gospel would be spread to the four corners of the world. And we're like him, aren't we? Sometimes our confessions don't match match our actions. We all know that we truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a reoccurring doubt that sometimes comes into our lives where we, we don't act according to the way that we say we believe. It's because Thomas is not divine. Thomas is a human being. And there is only one divine person in this book. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So. What about you this morning? Jesus is going to show his disciples himself. Have you seen enough of Christ? Are you already convinced? Have you heard enough? Or do you still need more evidence? Will you walk with Christ even through territories that you feel are unsafe and maybe in territories where you will be unaccepted? Are you willing to go to the extent of saying, let us go that we may die with him? Or has your heart been so changed that you will say, let us go. Secondly, the resurrection and the life. Verse 17. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days. Now, it was not that Jesus had learned that Lazarus was dead. Jesus knew that Lazarus was dead as he told his disciples in verse 14, Lazarus is dead. Rather, when Jesus arrives, he is told something about the condition of Lazarus that Lazarus that he already knew. Amen. Verse 18. 
Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, Bethany, here we go. Bethany was close to Jerusalem. It is said that in relationship to Bethany and the temple, the temple was just a short walk away, and that the temple could even be seen from Bethany. Now, listen, many Jews are coming to console Martha and Mary. Now, we are not going to assume that this verse is speaking, when it speaks of Jews, that it's speaking of the religious leaders, as it does in other verses. Rather, when the Bible speaks of many Jews, it is speaking of many family, friends, relatives, and professional mourners who are coming to console Martha and Mary about their loss. Pharisees most likely would not have attended this consolation or consoling because Martha and Mary were known disciples of Jesus Christ, and they would have had nothing to do with them. Nevertheless, listen again, many Jews are coming. Again, the Jews consisted of family, friends, professional mourners. They are coming to console Martha and Mary. Now, get the picture. All of these people are coming from Jerusalem, and it says many. So there are many that are coming from Jerusalem to console this family. During this time of mourning, a a theologian by the name of Lightfoot notes, there are 30 days allotted for mourning. The first three days are for weeping. Seven days are for lamentation. 30 days are for intermission from washing and shaving. No washing, no shaving during that time. The beds of the houses of of the mourners were taken down and laid on the ground as soon as the coffin left the house. And here, those who came to comfort, those who were in mourning, sat on the floor. And those who were mourning, those who had lost someone, sat silent and said nothing. And the comforter says nothing until the mourner broke their silence. So in that time of mourning, those who are coming to comfort, they sit there and they don't say a word. Until the person who is mourning, the person who has lost someone, breaks their silence. We saw this in the book of Job. When Job's friends came to see Job, they sat with him and they did not say a word until Job broke his silence. And then they began to give him all the advice in the world on where he went wrong. Let this be a note to you. Oftentimes when someone dies, the best comfort is not found in words. Sometimes when someone dies, the best comfort is found in just your presence. But we return to the point again that many Many were coming from Jerusalem. Now, from a human perspective, many were coming from Jerusalem to console Martha and Mary concerning their loss. But from a heavenly perspective, God the Father was bringing many so that they could see and hear the power of His Son, the authority of His Son, and they could see God putting Himself on display once again. So, many are coming. Many are coming. Friends are coming. Family is coming. Mourners are coming. Their job was to wail and to throw up dust and to put themselves in a a big mess. Some of you guys have seen that at funerals. It's embarrassing. But it's only people who act like that who have no eternal hope. Anyways, amongst the crowd of people that are arriving, you've got family, friends. But listen, now get the picture. All these people are coming. All these people are coming. And amongst that crowd of people are coming, Jesus is also coming. And the twelve disciples are also coming. Now get that picture. Family is coming. And they're all crying. 
Mourners are coming and they're crying. Friends are coming. Uh, they are crying. The disciples are coming. They're afraid. Jesus is coming. Can you imagine the look on Jesus' face as he's approaching this funeral procession? Because everyone is pessimistic. Everyone is feeling sad. Because they think all hope is lost. And as all of hopelessness is coming to mourn hopelessness, there is one who is filled with hope. Who is coming to raise that man from the dead. I just I was sitting there just getting the picture of all these people coming dust all over the place. People crying. And Jesus with his face. Maybe as flint. As strong as a rock, as, as strong and as, as serious as these people have no idea what's about to happen. In the midst of despair, there is all but one who is hopeful. Just one. He is coming to show that he has authority over death. I would have loved to see his face. I would have loved to see the, the most dramatic mural save, save his, his own resurrection. I would have loved to see just him walking. And again, I, I hope there's a theater in heaven where we get to see this, this picture again. Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha is coming. She goes out to meet him and says this. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In verse 32, Mary finds out that Jesus has arrived and she greets him with the same statement. She greets him with the same statement. Falls at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, at first glance, it may seem like a rebuke. Where were you? Didn't you receive the message? I was told that you were just two miles away. You could have made it. We know that you loved him. You could have saved him. And there's great debate on how this passage is to be interpreted. The tone of the passage is to be interpreted. Some say it was a rebuke. Some say it was a statement of faith. But here's as I was studying how I began to interpret it. We must not forget this woman was a human being. And although our faith is great, she is filled with human emotions concerning her loss. Put yourself in her shoes. You know that there is one that you believe, as she's going to say, is the Son of God that has all authority, all power to heal your sick brother, and he's not come. What would you say to him if he came? When you thought it was too late. What would be your response? If she was upset, could you have at least understood her anger? Or could you have at least understood her frustration? Yeah, it sounds impulsive. It sounds maybe harsh at first glance. But it's honest. But it's honest. And haven't you been in the place of mourning where she's been? How many times have we said things in the moments of our deepest grief that appear to be pointing the finger at God because of our pain? Do you think she was any different? Do you believe in Christ? And you know the end of the story. Do you think that she was any different? How many times have things happened that make no sense to us whatsoever? And because we don't have all the answers, we fall into pits of despair. 
And we start asking and pointing fingers at the one who we know has all the answers. Why? How could you let this happen? Why? Why now? Why me? Why him? Why her? That's right. That's right. That's right. And if you have never said that, then praise God for you. They need to write your name in this book. But if you have said that, that doesn't mean you're not saved. It's just a pain that we can't understand at that moment. And I believe that's exactly what's happening here. Henry notes, we are apt to add to our trouble by fancying what might have been. If such a method had taken place, such a physician employed, my friend had not, would not have died. Which is more than we know. And what good does it do? When God's will is done, our business is to submit. And oh, how I know these thoughts and how I am more acquainted with these emotions more than I would like to be. I remember when my father passed. I sat at his bedside. I held my father in my arms when my father went to be with the Lord. I told him I was pleading with him. Stop fighting then. Stop fighting. If you know mom and the family are going to be OK, then, then just go. And I sat there when he went. And I rested my head on his chest. While all the family came in. And then my brother came on the other side and we both rested our head on his chest. And we sat there until everyone left. And I followed him to the undertaker room. And I sat with him there. And she doesn't know this, but I followed the ambulance when it took him away. And I was not willing to let him go. And I could not fight back the questions of why. We're all praying. Johnny Lucero's in the, in the weight room and he's praying. You got all these men who, who love you and who want to just preach the word and do it right. Why now? Why this time? Why this guy? But those whys and what ifs, they only help to drive you crazy. And they only help to cause regret rather than trusting in the will of God that is coupled with his love and his sovereignty. And that is where true believers conclude their sorrow. A true believer does not wallow in the muck and mire of despair, believing that if they had just done this, then this wouldn't have happened. If they just done that, then that wouldn't have happened. And God, you've abandoned me. Or blame God for some kind of evil. A true believer makes the same statement as Job. Job 121, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise be the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. My brother is gone. But in the midst of her grief, she makes a statement of faith. She apparently returns to her senses. Verse 22, and, and I love that there's a period there. There's not a comma there. There's a period there. So she made that statement, and that is what it is. I'm hurting, and I wish I understood why you didn't come. But even now, what a statement of faith. Just a but in there. Thank God, as it's been said before, for the buts in the Bible. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, comma, God will give it to you. What a statement of faith. I know that my brother is gone. I know I don't understand it. I know you could have saved him. But I also know that you're the son of God. And that whatever you do, whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. 
And isn't that just like a true believer? They return to their faith. Was it a rebuke? I don't know, and I don't really care. I don't really understand what it was, but I know that she was a human being. And she returned to her true faith, which is faith in God. God, you are God, and I am not. And even though I can't see it or understand it, I know that you make all things right. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I know you do. Because you're sovereign. You're in control. And I'm not. Martha, bless her heart. She did not have the knowledge of Christ that we have by seeing the entire story. But she must have heard that Jesus healed a blind man. She must have heard about the multiplied food. She must have heard about the official son being raised. But man, raise a man from the dead after four days? That thought was so far out of her mind that she couldn't even imagine that. But somehow, she hopes against all hope. Because hope is standing in front of her. Because Christ is there. And because Christ is there, somehow, some way, everything's going to be all right. I sat with a young lady, um, and I made sure that I had another lady with me this morning. And I was trying to console her, and she couldn't even get words. She was one of our youth. She couldn't even get words out of her mouth. That's how much pain she's going through. And I said to her, I know you don't understand. I know it doesn't make sense. I know you're hurting right now. But if there's one thing that I can say to you that, that you can remember out of all the things that I'm going to say to you in the, in the next ten minutes, it's going to be okay. And just that statement alone caused her to cry even more. But honey, it's going to be okay. I can say, honey, because she's been like a daughter to me. I've known her since she was a little girl. It's going to be okay. I know you can't understand why your parents are doing what they're doing. I know you, you feel like you're the parent in the house. I understand. It's going to be okay. Hold on to God's hand. Dig deeper into him. You will find your consolation there. You will find your peace there. You might not find the answers, but you'll find peace. She trusts in the efficacy of the power of Jesus' prayers. Believing that God will hear him. God will answer him. And here's the answer that God gives. Listen to this. He says to her, your brother will rise again. What does the comforter do? He waits until the mourner has broken their silence. And what is the first words that the comforter says? He says words that no other comforter has ever said in the history of comforters. (laughs) Your brother will rise again. He's broken his silence. The first word he says to her, the first sentence he says to her is, your brother will rise again. No comforter has ever said that. Your brother will rise again. It was as if Christ could see the struggle of faith that was taking place in his friend, Martha. And he began to lead her into a clearer and more distinct view of himself, his office, his authority. He says, Lazarus will rise again. But notice he doesn't say how. He will rise again. But it's it's begging the question. Now ask me how, Martha. Please ask me how. I want you to ask me how. (laughs) Right? And Christ was leading her in faith, helping her to grow in her faith. And here's her response. I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. It went like this. Right over her head. Martha believes that there will ultimately be a resurrection. It was taught in the Old Testament, taught by the Pharisees. And we affirm the, the, the resurrection of the dead. Christ affirmed the resurrection of the dead. But that's not what he was saying. 
she believed that he was talking about an ultimate future resurrection in the distant future. Jesus was talking about a resurrection right here, right now. And because it was something Martha couldn't even imagine, it went right over her head. The statement of Jesus is almost dismissed by Martha. You ever told someone when someone dies, it's okay, they're going to be in heaven. And although that makes them feel better for a moment, it just doesn't do it, right? It's just like, yeah, I know that, but they're gone. And although Jesus is comforting that woman, she doesn't get it. There's still disappointment in Martha's tone. I know, but he's, that's in the future, Jesus. I understand that. And then Jesus makes a statement to Martha that is the fifth I am. Now, if you could imagine this conversation during a funeral that maybe you've attended, you were there, you lost someone, someone comes to you who you know is powerful, and he says to you, and it would only be Jesus, right? He says to you, your brother will rise again. Why? Because I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What would you do if Jesus said that to you? What would you do? We were watching. This is totally outside of what even matters. I don't even know why I'm going to say it. Maybe I shouldn't say it. Let's just move on. Just imagine the scene. Lord, if you were here, my brother would not have died. I know that God will answer anything that you say. Oh, he will live again. I know there'll be a day of resurrection, but it's just so hard. No, you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not just merely he's not just merely a teacher of resurrection. He is the divine author of resurrection, whether whether spiritual resurrection or physical resurrection, whether it's spiritual resurrection where he is regenerating the hearts of dead sinners or physically by calling out dead men from the grave. Jesus Christ is the fountain of life and he is the root of life. All life springs from him. It is because of the resurrection of Christ that there is a resurrection at all. Paul says in Romans 6, 5, if we have been united with him If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 2 Corinthians 4.14 Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also with us or also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Christ is the great spring and source of life. And whatever life anyone has, again, eternal life, spiritual life, physical life, all of it is a result of the life of Christ. We live because he lives. Death came by way of Adam. Life comes by way of Christ. Those who believe in Christ, though they die physically, shall never die. Those who live because they believe in Christ, they shall never die. This is the promise of life. It is the promise of eternal life, life eternal. And listen, your eternal life does not begin when you die. It begins when you come to Christ in faith. You are right now living eternal life. Do you realize that? That your your passage from this world to that world will be merely sleeping and then waking up in paradise, in heaven. That's why we don't fear death. That's why death no longer has a sting because Christ has taken or defeated death. So that when you die, you simply sleep. 
And then you wake up with a cast on your foot. Like I did. <laughs> it's all over. The surgery's done. And now I'm running and it's, it's wonderful. That's how your passage from this world to that world will be. I remember them putting the mask on my face. And they only asked me one question. After they had taken off that stinky red cast that had stunk up my entire room. Are you ready? Let's do it, I said. On my face. And I woke up to my mom and to my wife. How you doing? You will wake up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Saying to you, well done. Good and faithful servant. And God the Father saying, justified. Not because of you, but because you are covered in my son's blood. Justified. This is the promise of life. It is the promise of eternal life. And that's yours. When you are brought to Christ or when Christ has brought you to himself, he has given you eternal life. And it begins now. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth and the life. Imagine no prophet, no apostle, no preacher could ever speak this way except for Christ and Christ alone. Yes, Lazarus will be raised in the resurrection in the future. But because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, he can determine when to raise someone or when not to raise someone. He need only say three words. Lazarus, come forth. We'll hear next week. That if he did not call out the name of Lazarus, all the graves of all the dead men and women in the world would have risen. Wow. Yes, it is, Mom. <laughs> and now, the question is given to Martha. Do you believe this? What a probing question. You're faced with an impossible, hopeless situation. And now, Christ has told you what is true. And in light of telling you what is true, what do you believe? Do you believe that all hope is lost? Or do you believe there is no such thing as hopelessness in a world that exists under the sovereign hand of God? Let me say that again. Do you believe all hope is lost? Or do you believe that hopelessness does not exist in a world that is under the sovereign hand of Almighty God? There is no such thing as hopelessness, is there? No. Linsky writes, to believe this is to believe what he says about himself and thus to believe in him. It is to it is one thing to hear, to reason and to argue about it. It is quite another thing to believe, embrace and trust it. To believe is to receive, to hold, to enjoy the reality, the power of it with all all that all of the joy that lies within it, all the comfort that lies within it, all of the peace that lies within it, all of the hope that lies within it. Do you believe? Do you believe? Is there comfort? Is there joy? Is there peace? Is there hope? And if so, then maybe you too believe. Oh, but if there is pessimism, if there is hopelessness, if there is despair, if there is, if there, if there is sorrow, if there is depression, then ask yourself, what do I believe? Because if I really believe, then where does all hope, where does all, all, all of hopelessness go? It is lost in the light of hope. If I truly believe, where does depression go? It is snuffed out yes. by joy in the Lord. Yes. Yes. What do you believe? Yes. Do you believe in Christ? Yes. Have you trusted in Christ alone for your salvation? Yes. Have you trusted that life is found in no one else other than Christ and Christ alone? 
Are you trusting that you will somehow be good enough on your own? That your works will somehow save you when you stand before God? Are you trusting in the perfect life, perfect death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation? Let me tell you, friend, that if you believe that you will stand before God justified based upon your own good deeds, then you will be disappointed because he will toss them aside like filthy rags. Oh, but if you believe and trust in him alone, Christ alone, that there is no life apart from Christ, then you will be saved. If you believe that his perfect life accounted for your imperfect life, then you will be saved. If you believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, then you will be saved. If you believe that he died and that he rose on the third day, conquering sin, death and the grave, then you will be saved and you will live forevermore with Christ. What did Martha believe? Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming to the world. That is the confession of Martha. What about you? To those who believe this morning, Christ is once again reminding you of the life that he gives by displaying the life that he gave. So that you might have life. And it it displayed here on this table. The body that was broken for his sheep. The blood that was shed so that you might, your sins might be atoned for. We remember this morning the saving work of Christ that produced eternal life for his sheep. Let's stand.